what's going on, everybody? Always appreciative for those that tune in to Dynasty Theory on a weekly basis. I'm John Bauer at the Bauer Club on Twitter. You know my main man, Dan LaMagna at FF Coach Dan. What's up? JB, good to be here tonight. Fresh from the beach, man, and uh, getting ready now for a couple of Philadelphia weekends. I got a Phillies game this weekend, and then next week's a, a live Scott Fishbowl draft. So, you know, a little baseball, a little football, ready to roll. There you go. You you look sun kissed. It looks like you got some sun. We've gotten some of my share in the last week or so. You know, the combination of the beach and the combination of the honey do list projects. You know, there you go. All right. Well, tonight we're going to talk about some rookies heading into the twenty three season. In our mind, who could really pop? Who not just gain value, but be those guys that really break out. And it seems like there's always different types of rookies that have that opportunity ahead of them. And that's just it. That's the word opportunity. You could have all the skill set, you could have all the traits, but if you don't see the field, if you don't have the opportunity, whether it's the scheme, whether it's the personnel, uh, the situation ahead of you, maybe an injury, somebody else, if you're running back in the backfield or the wide receiver core, whatever the case may be. So hopefully tonight, we can identify some of those possible candidates that are going to break out, are going to rise in value as the 23 season progresses. And as we sit here six months, seven months, eight months from now, when we're doing startups next off season, we see these guys rise up the boards. So let's see who's in the chat. Holler, Greg, uh, if you're, if you're watching this, if you're listening live, make sure tomorrow night, nine o'clock Eastern, our guys on Ron's reaction every Wednesday night on the dynasty theory, YouTube channel, uh, going over some fantastic content here, uh, adding more to the dynasty theory family and quick plug. If you are listening on the podcast feed, wherever you listen, like subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button because it does help us out. So we would be extremely appreciative. All right, Dan, who's the first guy you want to talk about here? Man, I, I like this assignment you gave us this week, JB. And, uh, you know, Mitch was participating, but he was critical of the state of Utah tonight. Always is. So, but I think he was on the same page with some of these guys. And I'm going to start at the wide receiver position. You know, there's, to me, there's the, the big guys that we're all going after, the JSN and, you know, the big guns. But there's that guy you just put up on the screen, Jonathan Mingo, who to me, from a dynasty perspective of a guy that I think could break out and put himself to the level of those other guys is Jonathan Mingo. I think the talent and the opportunity are all aligned for him. Go ahead. Go ahead. I I, I know I kind of like cheat a little bit sometimes, JB, and, and I go out on the best ball streets but a lot, and I've been drafting a ton of best ball right now. And I think when I think of rookies, you know, Dynasty, we're looking at our long-term potential. Obviously, if these rookies pop a little bit earlier, that's better for us. But I've been finding in a lot of drafts, I, I hit this point where I'm like, okay, what rookie could pop and st- like just make me feel still good about my receiver position? It's Mingo. And he's like kind of sliding and he's always available. And, and you know, I don't think there's much th- tread on Adam Thielen's tires. So, you know, it might not be the first half of the rookie season, but I think, you know, often those rookies pop in the second half. I think that's when Mr. Mingo might uh, really show out. You know, you hit the nail on the head there with the the one comment. It's not necessarily when you look at rookies, it's not necessarily what they do with their entire body of work throughout their rookie season. The back half and even the last few weeks of their rookie season is so much more critical to their value going into their off season, heading into their sophomore year, you know, it's so much more critical. So you mentioned Adam Thielen. He's missed 11 games over 2019 to 2021. He actually didn't miss anything in 2022. Adam Thielen was dead last at 1.06 yards per route run of all wide receivers with at least a hundred targets last year. It's not like he was at 1.06 And then the next guy was at 1.08, 1.09, 1.44. This is across the entire NFL. It was 1.63 in 21, 1.86 in 2020 and 2019, and 2.1 in 2018. Dan, I know you're not a huge 
analytics and numbers guy, but even you can see that trend right there. And hey, I love when you share those analytics, JB, because I use them and, and, and bled it into my game film. And that decline, like last year in Minnesota, they needed him. Like he was their number two wide receiver. There was no reason as far as opportunity. You know, Cousins wasn't in any worse by any means. He was slinging it. Um, but th- we were seeing that decline. And I, I was a little surprised Carolina, you know, spent some money on him. But I think it's more to bring these younger receivers around, have a veteran presence, new coaching st- staff trying to do things the right way. But, boy, there's opportunity there in Carolina. And as we've been studying this offseason – you know, I, I go back to talking about Steve Smith, the former Carolina Panthers and Hall of Fame wide receiver. He broke down all these receivers. And before he even knew Mingo was going to Carolina, which happens to be his his, his old uh, stomping grounds, he says, this is a guy that I could see projecting to a number one. So in the offseason, we don't have a lot of information. You know, there was some camp, some guys participated, some didn't. But to me, that's better than Joe Twitter saying, hey, I like Jonathan Mingo. Like, here's an NFL guy that watched this film and really likes what he sees. So between Steve Smith's evaluation, between his college film, between the opportunity that is really looking good, supported by your analytics, JB, there, there's a great opportunity. And I think this is a good football team, too. They're young. I'm not saying good like they're going to contend for a Super Bowl this year, but they got a decent O-line. They got a really good defense. You know, they could run the ball. There's some pieces there. So I, I think that helps his cause, too, as they develop. Yeah, and then several other things here. Again, like – uh, Jonathan Mingo, you and Mitch both said you wanted to talk about him tonight. And I have a decent amount of exposure to him across my dynasty portfolio, but it's nothing absurd. It's not like I was actively going out. I know we have some patrons, uh, uh, Tidewater. He, he has a, a crazy amount of exposure to Mingo. I think it was 30, 40%. So he was somebody that completely bought in. But uh, let me run through a, c- a couple things here, Dan. Kick back, relax, enjoy the show. All right. <laughs> Jonathan Mingo, last year, wide receivers in FBS with at least 75 targets, okay? He was number nine at 16.8 yards per catch. He also was able to be utilized out of the slot. So if Adam Thielen is not able to continue throughout this season, he can uh, provide some production there from the slot. 39% of his routes from the slot. 7.3 yards after catch per reception. That was 10th among the sample that I had mentioned earlier. A dot 14.4, that was 14th. 5.9% drop percentage, that's relatively low. 19% contested target rate. We want anything under 27, 28%. He's fine there. At 446, 62, 220, out of all day one and two receivers this year, he has the highest speed score. He's kind of in that upper echelon top 10% across all wide receivers drafted since 2017. So he has the physical traits. And I wanted to go through a few things here. I went back, I pulled rookie data from 2018 to 2022, and I wanted to look at any wide receivers that had at least 50 targets, okay? And then look at their fantasy points strictly from receiving, their fantasy points per game. And there were a few interesting things here. So there were seven wide receivers that hit at least 12 fantasy points per game in their rookie season that were not first-run draft picks, okay? So all guys at least 50 targets, which makes sense because you need that to get to at least 12 fantasy points. It was Preston Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown, Elijah Moore, T. Higgins, Terry McLaurin, Chase Chase McColl, Chase Claypole, And DK Metcalf, if you look across the board there, Preston Williams, that wide receiver core, Devontae Parker, Mike Kosicki, Albert Wilson, Alan Hearns, Isaiah Ford, you had Drake and Jakeem Grant. That team was 5-11 in 2019. Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback. Amon Ra, Jared Goff, 3-13-11. Khalif Raymond, Josh Reynolds, Kadero Hodge, Elijah Moore, that team was 4-13. Zach Wilson, Mike White. Jamison Crowder, Braxton Barrios, T. Higgins, that team was 4-11-1. Terry McLaurin, that team was 3-13. Chase Claypool, a little different, 12-4 with Ben. DK Metcalf, 11-5 with Russ. There's a lot of similarities with the way these guys achieve that 12 points per game, okay? Most of these teams were losing teams. They all had quarterbacks that I would say are not known for running the ball. Russ, probably the most, 
Okay. Everybody else there, primarily a pocket passer and questionable wide receiver cores outside of the Steelers. That is exactly to a T what we have here in Carolina, right? Shark, Thielen, rookie quarterback coming in, primarily a pocket passer. They're not going to be a winning team, maybe six, seven wins, but this is a team that's going to have to throw the ball. And a player like Jonathan Mingo could uh, be the main beneficiary here. Yeah, that's all good data that supports our argument. He's coming into this season with Bryce Young, too. So, you know, they're spending extra time together as rookies. And I think that's what we hope for. You want that chemistry with, with the quarterback. We know there's questions in that offense, not only with Thielen, but Terrence Marshall. Shark, could he stay healthy? Like, there is a, just a prime opportunity. And Ole Miss is producing these receivers, JB. You know, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. You know, they're the most recent best examples we have. But there's also Laquan Treadmill, Elijah Moore, we're hoping, bounces back. Your boy, Dante Moncrief. Uh, you know, Mike Wallace, if I go back a little further. So, you know, they've got a, a little history here, man. They're like the Iowa of tight ends at wide receiver producing these receivers. So I'm high on Mingo, man. Like, I think if you don't get those big guys and you're looking for a rookie wide receiver to break out, he just fits the mold and, to me, is the best example in this class. Can I say a few more little fun facts and tidbits here? Let and rip, if you man. noticed, after my last spiel, my mouth was getting so dry, so dry, and I had to chug some water there. But I'm back now. I'm ready. <laughs> There's a comment in the chat, and, Jay, I'm glad you brought this up. Again, that's Jay from Ron's Reactions tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. He says, I think the problem is there's such a low ceiling because rookie quarterbacks rarely throw more than 25 touchdowns. Absolutely. Go back over the last three years. Rookie quarterbacks that have played, uh, I think it was uh, 400 snaps or so. Kenny Pickett, he had Deontay Johnson at 10.6. Pickens at 9.8. Fryer Muth at 9.9. Mac Jones supported 11.6 in Jacoby Myers. 10.6 in Bourne. 10.3 in Henry. These are their PPR points per game. Davis Mills, Cooks, 14 and a half. Trevor Lawrence in that dumpster fire of a season. Marvin Jones still put up 10.6. The corpse of Marvin Jones, essentially. Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore, 12.6 per game. Corey Davis, 11.7. Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, 17.5. Mike Williams, 10.2. Henry, 10.4. Burrow with Boyd, 12.8. Higgins, 12.2. Typically what we see, yes, the extreme ceiling is not there. But for the most part, with rookie wide receivers, if they come in around nine PPR points per game, as long as you're not like a Jamar Chase or somebody in the upper echelon where the bar is so high and the hype is so much, as long as you hit nine PPR points per game, you at least maintain your value according to ADP from going into your rookie season to going into your sophomore year, okay? I really do believe under the right circumstances, we could be looking at Mingo right around 13 points per game. And that's not far off from Alave from last year. That's not far off from a lot of the guy uh, over Drake London. And he's somebody that's going as a top 15, 16 dynasty wide receiver. Now I will say, I will caution. I think certain things certainly have to go right for Jonathan Mingo to get there. Something's got to happen to DJ shark. Who's missed 11 games over his last two seasons. Adam Thielen's got to run out of steam. Bryce Young has got to be just tall enough to get the ball over his offensive line and support some weapons. And we do need some touchdown upside. So it can't be an offense that completely flounders. It's got to be an offense that can move the ball. And hopefully that can be helped by the running game. We all love Miles Sanders here at Dynasty Theory. At least I do. And I can go on and on and on about the Carolina Panthers, but I do think there are opportunities. And again, certain things have to go Jonathan Mingo's way. Realistically, I think he does hit around that eight to nine points per game. Okay. And he does maintain his value, but there are certain ways that this could go right where he catapults himself up. And we're talking about him as a top 25, six, seven, eight receiver next year. Uh, so dynasty high end wide receiver three, which as you can see, wide receiver 49 in fantasy calc, that's a nice little jump. And he will be main going up in value in 2023. Dan, anything else? I think he covered it, man. You know, between the analytics again, love his game film. 
the history of the rookies that I think I've drafted in the recent years, you know, the Kadarius Tonys, these certain guys that pop that, you know, I trade all my draft capital early, so I can't get those big receivers and I end up landing on Mingo. They've turned out pretty well for me. So he falls in that class and I'm excited to see what he could do this season. All right. We got two more guys that we're really going to dig deep on here. And then we have some other discussions. I can tell you right now, a lot of my free time today was spent on the rookie quarterbacks and, and digging up some, some rookie wide receiver numbers. So I will not be as long winded for these next two players. So now it's Dan's time to shine. What do you got, baby? All right, man. So, Hey, we're, we're looking again, trying to find another one of those players that we think could pop this season. We're not listing the captain, obvious names. I'm not deep digging here yet, but right in the middle of that rookie running back class, the more I've studied the season and really am high on his football team and the opportunity is Zach Charbonnet. I know there's some variables here with Kenneth Walker and in a timeshare, but we see most, most NFL teams these days, there is a timeshare, but if anything happens to Kenneth Walker, I think he could go boom, Zach Charbonnet. He's another guy that's just fallen to me in certain drafts where I'm talking dynasty or redraft where I'm just like, okay, I need a running back right now. I have confidence in Zach Charbonnet with that potential to hit a ceiling that could be game-changing this season, to be honest. I think the Seattle Seahawks are an NFC champion contender. I know the Niners and the Eagles are tops there, but I think Seattle's on the cusp. They've got the O-line. They've got all kinds of weapons around this offense. I loved his game film, and I, I'm just – I'm really starting to fall in love with Sharps. I know I see that little Bijan comment over there. Again, I, I, not going there. Not going there with Bijan or Gibbs. We, we all love those guys. But I think Charbonnet could get in a certain running back conversation, especially where you're getting them in drafts. Dan, I was pleasantly surprised because when I threw the prompt at you and Mitch, I almost threw in there before you could answer, let's not bring up Bijan. Let's not bring up Gibbs. So I, I was pleasantly surprised because usually some, you know, you got to throw some some ground rules out there for Dan. I, You know, I, I think Zach Charbonnet, this is, it really is one of the premier one-two punches across the NFL. And it is, it's a situation similar to Dallas a few years ago. If anything were to happen to Zeke, Tony Pollard offers that league winning upside. If anything happens to Kenneth Walker, or in turn, if anything were to happen to Zach Charbonnet, I think both of these guys have such a solid range of outcomes and the floor is very stable. I think for both of these guys and on any given week, Zach Charbonnet, if he is involved in the passing game, uh, just to a certain extent, I think he offers flex appeal and has standalone value. And it's so funny when we look at a team like Seattle, because Dan, just a year ago, everybody had them pegged as the laughing stock of the league. Oh my goodness. They moved on from Russ Wilson. They have this journeyman. That's never done anything. Chris Carson gone. Uh, you know, Kenneth Walker, he's not, even, he's not going to sniff the end zone because they're not going to get there. And I was one of those people. I was one of those idiots that proclaimed them as a laughing stock. And guess what? I, I think I motivated them, Dan. <laughs> I really think I did. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I didn't go into too much depth with all of the historical research here on this, but we did all of our rookie uh, analytics and game film over the last several months leading up to the NFL draft. And we've touched on Zach Charbonnet quite a bit. He had a, a fairly, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, he didn't hit the marks we would hope for when he was at Michigan. And then he goes to UCLA and underwhelming. That's the word I brain fart. He was very underwhelming at Michigan. Uh, I don't know where I came up with hitting the marks, but anyway, when he got to UCLA, he really flourished. And I think that really catapulted him up to the second round of the NFL draft. And this is a team now that should have a very nice amount of red zone opportunities. And it's a situation that would benefit both a Zach Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker. And I'm thinking about it on a, on a weekly basis. These two guys, 
you know, I think we're sniffing 25 to 28 fantasy points per week between the two. And then what does that tell you? If one of these guys were to go down, obviously they don't get all the points, but it's still a really nice ceiling. And that's a situation that could really bode well for a Zach Charbonnet. So if we're talking about him at running back 26 right now, Dan, is that me glitching or you? Is that me or you? I think we're both good. We're good. All right. All right. Good. I I missed the glitch. So you're good. So if if we're looking at him at running back 26 today, and we think he has a potential breakout situation here, even with Kenneth Walker, what are we looking at with him uh, in in 2024 startups? And uh, real quick, I know the Pac-12 defenses. I know. I know. Ron, all right. <laughs> to JB, before we even go there, where do you have Kenneth Walker right now? And I, I, I hope Mitch plays this back and chimes in because I know he was like the Kenneth Walker truther a year ago. Kenneth Walker? Mm-hmm. I want to say, let me pull it up. What, what range? I still have him that 8 to 10 tier. Okay. I had him there, and I ended up recently bumping Walker a little bit more to like a – 12 to 15 tier range there. Listen, I, I, w- I wouldn't argue with anybody if they wanted to do that. And it's it's funny because I was going through, somebody actually asked me in the Discord today in the Dynasty Theory Patreon. They said, JB, are there any higher value players that you don't have any shares of? I had to go all the way down to Kenneth Walker. He's the first one uh, based on value that I didn't have a share of. And typically, I, I was lower on him from the get-go like i i was taking drake london over him in rookie drafts i i was very vocal about that and you know as we as we shift here and he's dropping down to that running back 12 on fantasy calc he's he's approaching by territory for me and it has to be the right situation it has to be uh you know, maybe when we're in the season and Dan, you're contending and you have a Kenneth Walker and he's not necessarily giving you the the maximum points that you're looking for on a weekly basis because Zach Charbonnet, he's like that pesky little gnat. And he just keeps flying around you. Uh, you know, I think there are going to be opportunities to make a move. Let's say it's a David Montgomery plus or somebody that would be producing at that point in time. I just threw out David Montgomery. So no need for the attacks. Jimmy, what are you talking about? David Montgomery for Kenneth Walker. What? Uh, but yeah, I was, so I have him that eight to 10, Dan. And so look how high Walker is. And, and I still have some questions on him. And I, I try to think back to last year and there were times where I loved watching him run. I mean, we, we know the explosive plays are there and the potentials there, but there were some times too, where I just watched him like in his own head, for, uh, it was me. I saw it. It was I, Dan. I, I, I was trying to slide by it, JB. JB's loving that right now because he's been glitchy for about like three months. And then tonight it was me. So I'm happy I could take that from you, JB. You've been going solid. But I think back to last year, there were times where he, Walker was like very frustrated on the bench and kind of in his own head and players and coaches are trying to calm him down. And, you know, the coach in me knows, hey, one thing that's to get you on the field is trust. And if you can't control your emotions and, and keep it together, and I got this guy, Sharp, who's coming for your job right now, like if Sharp does pass him on the depth chart, he could be up there where Walker is. So again, I'm not saying he's going to be, but that potential is there to be. And if where I'm getting him in startup drafts, if I could get him and know he has the potential to hop up to that 12 to 15 range where Walker is, that's very enticing to me. Yeah, it's uh it's one of those weird situations where you have two higher profile guys. You know, if you would have told me, and I talked about this so many times, if you would have told me that Zach Charbonnet, he is guaranteed second round draft capital, I was licking my chops. I was ready to pounce. Uh, 107, 108, holy cow. But it goes to another situation, a team where they have a uh, Kenneth Walker, who was a top six dynasty running back, who has the second round draft capital, who runs angry. But like you said, he gets frustrated. He had a lot of carries for losses last year. A lot. And And you you have too many of them. I'm going to take the guy that's moving the chains. Exactly. But I I think worst case, JB, this is one of those offenses, I believe, kind of like maybe a Cleveland before with Chubb and Hunt. Like they could support two running backs. So I don't think you're going to go wrong either way, but I'm buying that upside with Charbs. 
Well, here's my thing, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but if we're if we're buying into Kenneth Walker as a dynasty community as as running back twelve, if we're buying into Zach Charbonnet as a top twenty five dynasty running back, and something's got to give a little bit when you look at Geno Smith, DK Metcalf, JSN. Because it would be very difficult to support both running backs in an offense because you'd have to think they get involvement in the passing game and or high touchdown upside. And then supporting a guy like DK Metcalf, JSN, I didn't even mention Tyler Lockett, you know, so I, I think it, it, they continue to be one of the more interesting situations. This is back to back years now. So I, I it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out, but I could see Zach Charbonnet, just like Jonathan Mingo with the right situation uh, and, and the way things are going, I could see Charbonnet like, you know, there a scenario where Charbonnet is like running back 18 for dynasty next off season and Walker's 19, yeah. you know, and that would be as a result of, of Charbonnet and, and him pretty much splitting work 50, 50, but maybe Charbonnet has a little bit more involvement in the passing game. I'm not saying it is going to happen, but there are scenarios where it's a, a, possibility and you look at the seattle offense if that o-line produces jb geno smith was the fifth fifth best producing quarterback in fantasy last year which is hard to believe like i can't even get over that in my mind but he was fifth behind joe burrow jalen hurts josh allen and patrick mahomes and we know geno's not in that class especially in dynasty but you add jsn and you add charbonnet there could be a lot of offensive production there in that offense and the defense is getting better too, you know? So hopefully, hey, the defense gets the other team off the field and that's more snaps for the Seattle offense potentially. So, man, a lot of indicators are pointing up here. All right, so nice one-two punch. You might say a premier one-two punch. All right, Dan, last player on your radar before I kind of put you to the test with some other questions here. This one's rising for me. And I, I'm just like falling in love with like, the chase that we have every year at the tight end position, JB, probably only to let me down by the end of the season, trying to find that next sleeper, that next guy that's going to crack, you know, the the top five or whatever that may be. Um, a guy that's just moved up, and I, I'd put him in that same, hey, off-season news. We heard Steve Smith, you know, hype up Mingo. We just recently just heard George Kittle. I, I kind of respect that man. Say, this guy is undervalued. What a steal. And then we watch what Detroit's doing, letting Hawkinson go. We know the Detroit Lions have Jamison Williamson out six six weeks. Who are they throwing to other than, you know, the sun god 100-plus times? It's going to be Sam Laporta, John. All right? It's got to be our boy Sam Laporta there. Um, his film was good. His opportunity's good. He's getting the praise. He's working hard. He's, he's looked good in shorts and a T-shirt. Uh, the opportunity, the talent, the praise, it is all pointing there. And for some reason, you know, hey, we know it's Kincaid season. He's just still sliding a little bit. You know, I think he's he's obtainable. So I think he's a guy with, with the volume that he may get with Detroit on the upswing and needing to find someone to throw to. Because, JB, I don't know about you, man, but other than Sun God, until Williams Jameson comes back, who's still proving himself, is there anyone else to throw to? They they got Marvin Jones back, right? Isn't he back there? They got they got Jameer Gibbs, the the Swiss Army knife, if you will. Now, I there's a few things here. Again, a lot to digest. When TJ Hawkinson was there last year, we we actually didn't like his usage. We didn't love the way he was being utilized in that offense. But after he left, and it wasn't heavy usage, but their tight ends, I mean, Brock Wright put up four touchdowns. All right. He was Brock in their world over there. <laughs> four touchdowns. Uh, Shane Zelstra, he put up a couple touchdowns. So I, for Sam Laporta, I do think overall folks need to temper expectations. I have decent roster ship. And all we need, if we get like a 50 for 506 for, I talk about, what we needed from rookie wide receivers to at least maintain their value from the off season prior to the rookie year going in to their second year was about nine points per game, depending on where they started out, what their baseline was. Look at guys like Chiggy. Look at Greg Dulcich. They are right now 
ranked as top 15 dynasty tight ends, okay? They're young. They have interesting situations. You have the efficiency from Chiggy out there in Tennessee that a lot of people, they love to extrapolate, so let them do that. And they think he's going to you know, really progress here in 2023. But again, they put up 400-some yards as rookies. Now, granted, they were valued a lot lower than Sam Laporta is right now. But if Sam Laporta goes out and puts up 5,506, I can tell you he's floating up there in the top 10. Just because he's young, he's in an exciting offense, which is crazy to think about because we're talking about Detroit. No offense, Ron. I know you're in the chat still. And if he were to go out and put up 60 for 607 or 8, we're pushing him up to top five as a dynasty community. So I do think with what is required for a true tight end breakout, it is within the realm of possibility. It is within the realistic range of outcomes when you like, we're not talking about Jonathan Mingo as going out there and a a true top 12 season breakout, like rookie that's not happening. But for a wide receiver, like I said, 12, 13 points per game, that's great for, for where Jonathan Mingo came in at his current value. And it's no different than Sam Laporte here, just a far lower threshold. So in an offense where the opportunity is going to be there, especially the first six weeks of the season, you talk about rookie breakouts. I don't know why it can't be Sam Laporta. And he's going to be in the running most certainly for tight end one for rookies this year. You know, I love Michael Mayer, and I actually think from start to finish, he's not even going to be close to that wide or tight end one. But I think the back end of the season, Michael Mayer is going to start to to blossom and flourish a little bit. But over the course of the entire season, give me Sam Laporta. If you're picking between Laporta and Kincaid from a redraft or best ball perspective, give me Laporta, John, baby. Whatever. I want them all. You <laughs> give me them both in best ball redraft, but even in dynasty, you know, I, I think a lot of my dynasty rosters where, you know, I don't have the Kelsey, the Hawkins and the Andrews, um, you know, I'm trying to get multiple of those younger guys in the stock and Dulcich and Chiggy are pretty high. Sometimes they're tough to get. Sometimes they're attainable. It depends on the league and the owner, but first year rookie production, like I like his film and potential more than Chiggy and Dulcich and he's in a better opportunity so uh, you know I think there's no reason why you shouldn't get that better first year rookie production with a much higher ceiling and uh hey George Kittle wouldn't lie John he, he he's he's building them up I'm, I'm for it I just need a workout video now and I'm all in so I'm sure it has nothing to do with the Iowa connection all right West dropped <laughs> in the chat I just traded away a Laporta share super flex uh an additional one point for tight ends Ramondre Laporta, 25 first, 24 second times two, and a 24 third for Javante, London, Sky, and Pacheco. There's a lot to digest here. That is a lot to digest. And that 25 first is like an eon away. To me, I consider that like a second round pick because it's, it's, you know, we got, we got to wait a while. So I love Ramondre, maybe, maybe more than Javante. Dan, by 25, you're going to be able to go to movies for like three bucks on that senior citizen's discount. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. No comment. No, I'm going to let that one slide, JB. I'm going to let that one slide. I love Drake London, though. Absolutely love London. I like Sky Moore a lot this year. He's starting in that Kansas City office. I think he'll be good. Pacheco gives him running back depth. <sighs> oh, man. So I would yeah, Ramondre over Javante for me. London for... I mean, honestly, I think it's a nice package there for to acquire the the London side, especially if you believe in Sky. I I would love to eliminate Sky in a twenty four second. Like if we could have just removed them, uh, just because I wouldn't give a second for Sky myself. Pacheco, I'd give, it, I'd give a, I'd consider a second for Sky, depending. I I wouldn't. I personally, I wouldn't. But if you're, if you're uh, my, content, my seconds are my seconds are mid late, John. Though, so you know, they, it's not it's not going to be early. So uh, second and a third for Pacheco, that's fair. So Ramondre, Laporta, and a first in 25. 
for Javante in London. If you believe in Javante coming back to form, you're worried a little bit, bit about New England with their running back situation. If anybody else, you know, we're getting a Pierre Strong hype now, uh, his involvement in the passing game. I can see it. I th- There's pieces here that I would like to, to uh, change around a little bit, if you will. But I, I think it's a fine trade. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those trade. win-win trades. You know, it might tilt a little way, but if you believe in certain guys, that's reasonable. It's always fun whenever we're thrown, boom, right there, and there's so many pieces involved. My brain's... <laughs> All right, so if we're talking about Laporta's tight end 13 right now, Dan, where is he in startups in January, February of 24? I think he's going to crack that top 12, and it's just a matter of how high well, let, can look, he go. So, so Pitts, Andrews, Kelsey. I mean, is there a world that people were taking Laporta over Travis Kelsey, depending on how the 23 season plays out. What if Kelsey gets injured? And he better not because I have so many shares on contenders. But what if Kelsey gets injured? What if he just is underwhelming? I mean, Kelsey's going to be fantastic till he's 48 years old, I think. Uh, Hawkinson, Goddard. I could see a case where Laporta is taken over Goddard and startups. Kittle, Fryermuth. I... Six or seven, I think, is very realistic based on the range of outcomes. Worst case scenario for me, Laporta's tight end 13 or 14 in startups next year. Agreed. I don't see a situation. Like I said, we, we're we talking about Dulcich and Chiggy after a 400-yard season. So I, I like Laporta to at least maintain his value. All right, Dan. The three big receivers here, JSN, wide receiver 12 on Fantasy Calc, Quentin Johnston, wide receiver 20, Jordan Addison, wide receiver 23. Who has more dynasty value going into 2024? I'm just big going on the JSN train, period. And I also believe Lockett's time is going to come to an end at some point in the near future. He's hit that 30, 30 age range, right? We, I said how much I love Seattle, that offense. I think JSN is maybe as soon as this year could become Seattle's number two target there. I, I just love him. I think he's the most talented guy. I think I, I, again, I didn't have a lot of draft capital this year, but in one league, I know I traded for JSN. I actually gave up one of my Mingo shares because I had a lot of them. And it takes a lot for me to give up a Mingo share in the, in the deal there. Um, but I, I love JSN. I just love the talent. I think I might be a little higher than the consensus on J, JSN. Um, Higher than wide receiver 12. I see the potential. I wouldn't say higher right now. You know, we, we do a startup draft. I might not go there, JB, because I know I could, you know, it depends how the draft falls, but the potential is definitely there. All right. Uh, based on 23 production, I would say Jordan Addison. I, I love the opportunity at hand, you know, getting to see him with Pickett at Pitt, then off to USC with Caleb Williams. There, there's a lot to be excited about. I know there were some red flags from the combine size, uh, overall lack of production versus expectation when he went out to USC. But my concern here is you're always going to have that, shadow cast over him because of Justin Jefferson. Look at the conversations that happen with T Higgins at times. Well, he's not the Bengals number one receiver. He's still a top, top end receiver in the league. Uh, you see people devaluing Devonte Smith because AJ Brown is there. Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle. So whenever you have two higher end wide receivers, it certainly hurts the perception of that second receiver but another concern is Kirk Cousins, the quarterback there. Who is their quarterback going into 2024? That is that is a concern from a value perspective. I love Jordan Addison, but because of that, I, from a market perspective, I will rule him out for this exercise. Then it comes down to Quentin Johnson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. If Quentin Johnston is utilized in the way that I hope he is, he can he can be a yak monster, all right? 
if they can get him out into space, not necessarily have him fill in that Mike Williams role if necessary. Tied to Justin Herbert, question marks around Keenan Allen and Mike Williams' longevity. If he produces, I Quentin Johnston, I, I think he could make a case there. Uh, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba, Geno Smith in Cinderella, you know, they turns into a pumpkin. The carriage <laughs> is that time almost up for Geno Smith. I don't think so. How many more years of Tyler Lockett have we got DK Metcalf. So to make it interesting, I'm going to say, even though I have him tiered below the other two, I'm going to say things go right. And Quentin Johnston is actually valued more than these other two in startups, the overall dynasty community heading into the 24 season. So a lot of time, a lot can change, but I'm going to go QJ. All right. You had me worried for a little while. I was ready to throw the challenge flag. I was holding it, but I didn't throw it. If, if you took Addison number one, cause that's where I thought you were going. Um, you know, I have JSN, then um, Quentin Johnson, then Addison, but I can't argue with your argument there of Quentin Johnson. Like every time I do a draft JB and you get to that range and you see like Keenan Allen and you see Mike Williams, like it just doesn't feel good. And it, and it shouldn't feel that way because everybody loves Herbert. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think this offense with Kellen Moore should open up a little bit more and he should throw the ball down the field and whatnot. With those guys, you know, Williams injury history and, and you know, he's even starting to get a little older. Keenan Allen's definitely older. The opportunity is there. Now, I think in, with Johnson, it's going to take probably to the second half of the season. I think we talked about in our rookie episodes of Dynasty Theory where, you know, I thought it was going to take him a little longer to figure things out. And, and you know, owners need to be a little bit patient. Um, with Addison, JB, I'm a little concerned what direction Minnesota's going in. Like, I, I just they, they let go of their, their, their one of their better linebackers and they can't afford to lose any defense. They're, they're having the salary cap issues. They let Dalvin Cook go. Like it's just, it feels like a rebuild in the making. And then if cousins leaves, I don't, I don't know, but like, there's enough talent for them to like not get a top 10 pick. Maybe. I don't know in, in that division anyway. So I, I'm just a little bit concerned there. I think there's a lot of pressure on Addison. I don't know the direction of that team. Um, you know, and he had a little, I know it's early and there's a long way to go, but you know, he, he didn't really get to participate in their first camps. He had a little something nagging him that was undisclosed. So we don't even know what that really was. So just little tiny red flags with him and the, and the team, um, you know, again, not concerned about his long-term potential, but compared to those two other guys. And as I mentioned before with Seattle, if Seattle does boom this year, JB, and he, Gino has another, you know, top 10 season, but closer to the top five, people are going to be high on Seattle and JSN next year. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, but again, when we're comparing QJ with Justin Herbert and Jackson Smith and Jigbo with Geno Smith, I think there's always just going to be that thought in the back of people's minds. When is this ride going to be over for Geno Smith? Whereas if you're a wide receiver tied to a Justin Herbert, a Joe Burrow, a Patrick Mahomes, you're going to have that, that insulated value as a result. So that's my thought there. But again, a lot can change. A lot can happen. Am I taking Quentin Johnson over those other two today? No, personally, I'm not. But again, it might make sense. Uh, as the season approaches, if things shape up the way they could for Quentin Johnson, a lot of a wide range of outcomes there for all the, three. The Chargers are one of those fun NFL and fantasy football storylines, JB. Because, like, will that coaching staff really figure out how to capitalize this franchise quarterback that they have? Will Kellen Moore not play Madden? Sometimes that's good for fantasy, but again, this coach could be on the hot seat if they don't figure things out. All right, to close out the show, I have up here late round value spike, and it could be third, fourth round guy. But even if you have somebody kind of in the back end of the second that maybe you were taking that you really feel could take a jump here in their rookie year. JB, I'm just going to give you like four names really quick. I don't have a lot of data behind him tonight because you threw this one. You threw this one like pre-show at me. It was it was a late one. It was a late one. But just guys that. You know, third, fourth round, whether I took him for some reason in our, in our rookie drafts or I'm kind of keeping an eye on him for next year. And, you know, hey, maybe it's just that opportunity comes a little earlier than I think because the talent's there. Three running backs, um, Chase Brown in Cincinnati, really watching that mixing situation closely and just that explosive offense. I mean, he's only competing with Travion Williams otherwise. So I think there's an opportunity there. Eric Gray with the Giants, I just kind of liked his game film, the threat of a Barkley holdout. He's only competing with Matt Breida. 
Um, and then Chris Rodriguez is a little bit more of my long shot. He went later in the draft than I liked a lot later for fantasy capital, but I like the talent and I'm still not a believer in Gibson or, you know, B, B Rob there completely. So he'd be the last of those three. And then that wide receiver, a guy that, you know, maybe one Cincinnati Bengal injury away. I like him more for next year as I think Boyd leaves at some point is Charlie Jones. He's just kind of my guy. Uh, I've got a ton, a ton of Charlie Jones uh, draft capital. All right. And I, I, I laugh because we have a, a friend of the show and a patron that big Charlie Jones guy, big Charlie Jones guy. I like that guy. <laughs> uh, I love the Chase Brown call out and the, the two that I'm going to talk about here very briefly. Again, these are not third round guys, but well, maybe the one is he slipped early third, but Ty J Spears. I wanted to look at running backs that, not just given the opportunity in 2023, but there's got to be a reason, not just for their in-season value spike, there's got to be a reason for them to see a value rise continuing throughout the 24 offseason. And, you know, I love guys like Tank Bigsby, love a Zach Charbonnet, but a Chase Brown and Ty J Spears, they're one injury away. They're one, one situation away from getting an immediate opportunity Tajay Spears has to compete with Hassan Haskins there in the backfield. But you have Derrick Henry, obviously. If things go south early for Tennessee, not only does that put my Ryan Tannehill shears in, you know, complete code red, but Derrick Henry, his contract expires after 23. If they start out 0-4, 0-5, there's going to be teams calling about him. And guess what then? Tajay Spears steps into an opportunity. If he shows out, he is a riser then because it's not like, let's say ETN were to get hurt and Tank Bigsby steps up. Tank gets the immediate value spike in season, but Travis ETN is still there. And you look at it with Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet as well, but that, that's the reason I'm saying Tajay Spears because there is that path forward, not just the in-season temporary value spike. And then this is a guy that I actually don't have a ton of shares of, but there are certain things that can go right for him in Denver at wide receiver, Marvin Mims. I love Cortland Sutton, if I could say his name. Apparently, I don't love him that much. But he, let's say they Denver would move on. They apparently were, were listening to offers. Nobody was getting close to what they wanted. But this is the first draft pick under the Sean Payton regime in Denver there are narratives and there's a story you could tell that he gets the opportunity. Uh, Russell Wilson gets back to form what we saw in Seattle, and maybe he provides a nice one-two punch out of the wide receiver position with Jerry Judy when the time comes. But that could be somebody, if he would get the opportunity, uh, you know, right now I think it's going to be difficult if they don't move on from Sutton. So again, one of the several reasons I, I don't have a lot of shares of Mims. Uh, I was taking players like Reed. I was taking tank over him in a lot of spots, but again, you could tell yourself a story about how he could get there from a production standpoint and then in turn a dynasty value spike. I like those guys, you know, Spears, I didn't mention just because I think he is going second round potentially. Like it, it depends where, right. That, 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 I say late round. That was, uh, that's a, that's a reach JB, but he has, I think a, a more likelihood of being productive than the guys I mentioned that were, were going a little bit later. Tennessee is another one where I think coach Rabel and that team is all in to start the season, but things don't go well. You bring up a great point. Derek Henry could be a prime uh, trade bait candidate and Hassan Haskins, you know, even though they want to pay him a compliment in camp, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. And he falls in that same category. I think with Kendra Miller and Roshan Johnson, I just think New Orleans and Chicago is a little bit more crowded than Tennessee. So you probably pick the best example, but any of those guys could definitely boom. And Marvin Mims is interesting. It's just a matter of, I struggle with a little bit with Russ Wilson still of how much he could cook and you know, how much there is to go around. I see Judy being the primary beneficiary and I'm all in on Dulcich, but We'll see. We'll see. He definitely has the talent and an opportunity there. And I didn't want to bring up Kendra and Roshan because for the most part, they were going in the, the, I, I saw Kendra go one twelve in several rookie drafts. I saw Roshan go in the top half of the second, most of the time. Tajay, for the most part, he was sprinkled in early to mid second at times, but for the most part, he kind of slid because of the ACL concerns we're seeing in the chat. Uh, 
my my nemesis Nick here, and I say that with love. Spears already jumping Haskins question mark. I'm not so sure. Just just watch Nick. Just watch. And then Sean Tucker. That's a that's a great name, and, and, and I love Sean Tucker, but still hasn't stepped on a field. Still has not been medically cleared. Wasn't drafted. The upside's there, but I, you want to throw a dart? Sure. I just. I'm very skeptical with what we've seen uh, leading up to the NFL draft. Final thoughts. All right, Dan, for the 208th time, talking about some 2023 rookie breakouts. Just a reminder, no episode next week, 4th of July week, and then I'm doing some traveling and uh, no pivot point the next two weeks if you're part of the Dynasty Theory Patreon but I'll put out a little blast like I did with potential buys and sells based on my tiers and what we're seeing out there on the market on fantasy calc and kind of talking about discrepancies. Anyway, Dan, final thoughts. What do you got? Hey, fun show, JB. Just, you know, our listeners in the Patreon, man, when you're in that Discord, you know, come on over to, to the underdog uh, part of channel there. You know, JB's saying I'm not around, but I'm there daily, and you can pull me into any Dynasty talk. Uh, but, you know, a few of our, our members in there, we've been having fun doing best ball drafts, I think, like almost nightly. So just just a shameless plug, JB. That's all. I'm there, JB. I'm there is what I'm saying, man. I'm here for you and, and anyone in the Patreon. To tag, clarify, tag me if I'm not in another channel. I will be there. To clarify, the thumbs down was not towards underdog. It was towards Dan's uh, infidelity towards Dynasty, if you will. All right. And, and stealing him away from me to do these. What was that B word? But best ball. You know, you got diversity is the spice of life, JP. Not you when know, it and, comes to fantasy football. And Fourth, uh, of, July, Fourth of July is going to be my birthday too. So easy on the age jokes, okay? I, I, I age another year. This is getting scary around these dynasty parts here. Hey, thirties never look so good. <laughs> you know it. Wes says in the chat, "Will the less good-looking Mitch be back next week?" Well, two weeks, but he will be back. Uh, Dan, I think you're the better looking Mitch. I think that's what they're saying here. All right. Well, for Dan LaMagna, I'm John Bauer. For Mitch Sorensen as well, critical to the state of Utah. Uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed the episode. Uh, like I said, if you listen on YouTube, if you watch on YouTube, hit subscribe. It does help us out. Leave, leave comments, likes, whatever. Uh, but it is appreciated. And uh, we'll see everybody in two weeks. Have a happy and safe holiday. Peace.